Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks, a God who's living, a God who is at work in us, uh, in us and in our hearts. I do pray now, Lord, as we hear from your word, give us a heart that, uh, that, 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 that is moved to respond to you, that is challenged and encouraged, uh, so that we can be a people, Lord, that, uh, that, that um, have, hope in the, have hope in the gospel and I hope that uh, no, uh, we know that we have a future hope uh, in you uh, and, and eternity. So we do pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for those of us who don't know, there's a new software out that, uh, that's been making headlines. Uh, it's called ChatGBT. Who's heard of ChatGBT? Most of the room, some of the room. ChatGBT, it's uh, d- developed by a company called OpenAI, which is essentially artificial intelligence. Right? So you can go on ChatGPT. It's open to the public. You can ask it questions, and it'll give you detailed answers. This is, this is, there's a huge potential for this. You can have your, your uni assignment written by ChatGPT. You can get that cover letter done for that job application done by GP, ChatGPT. Instructions, write out instructions, how to do CPR or write a new song for church or ask it for a recipe uh, if you have certain ingredients in your fridge. Uh, ask it to write HTML code to design a website. There are so many things it can do. It's exciting. It's a real game changer. But with it, there's also many things that people are quite nervous about. It's like the uh, Industrial Revolution where robots started you know, being you know, made and, and warehouses and all that sort of stuff. People were getting nervous about losing their jobs. People are nervous about artificial intelligence. Right? With it, there are, there are so many things um, that it doesn't get right. Sometimes uh, it might give out misinformation. It can be used to launch cyber attacks even. More scams, more, more uh, fake emails, all that sort of stuff. That's what I'm nervous about. 
the deep fake technology, if you know about that, it's, it's crazy. You could, you could take a photo of my face and put it on someone else's body and then use my voice. Getting, you could use my voice from YouTube and then start, you know, send out videos online about me. That, and it's crazy. You wouldn't know if it's real or not. That's, that scares me a little bit. Uh, a, a few years ago, the Russian president, um, Pu Putin, he said, uh, whoever leads in arti artificial intelligence will be rulers of the world. That's scary. That's a chilling statement that he said. Even in an interview with the CEO of ChatGPT, Sam Altman, he admits he's a little scared of what could come about it if it's in the wrong hands. That's the CEO of the guy who created it, of the, of the company that created it. Yet he and many others are convinced that the creative power of AI will reshape our society for the better. Many are hopeful. Many are fearful. I don't know how you feel about it, and I think there might be mixed reviews in the room, but you can understand why. Now, imagine that feeling, like uh, this mixed feelings, you know, it might have been how people felt the first Easter when they heard about the resurrection of Jesus. Imagine hearing about it. There would have been uh, mixed reviews. Some people were like, oh, this is a game changer. Our whole life is going to be reshaped for good with hope and with courage and with joy because of what it means for us. For others, mm, the news would have come with a bit of skepticism. Yeah, fear might have been true. I don't know what's going to mean for me. I'm, I'm a bit scared about this or just outright rejection. Did it really happen? That's a question we need to ask today. Is it actually good news? How does it reshape our lives for the better? That's a question we need to ask living 2,000 years later as well. Today is Easter Sunday. And I want us to dive into the resurrection story in Mark 16 and hear about how it changes everything for those who believe and trust Jesus for the better. Let's get some context first. So if you were with us on Good Friday, uh, it was great. We, we got to celebrate the, the crucifixion of Jesus and why that's good uh, for us. Uh, that's what, uh, what happened in chapter 15 of the, of, of, um, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this Jesus who's been recorded for us, he, you know, the one who had power over storms and healed people of their blindness and disabilities, able to multiply bread and fish and even bring a little girl back to life. This same Jesus was betrayed. He was deserted by his closest friends and disciples. He was arrested. And through the Jewish leaders the, the, and the, the Roman soldiers, the governor as well, Pontius Pilate, we saw he was ridiculed, mocked, humiliated, and put on a cross to die. We heard about how that, uh, his crucifixion was really his experience of being abandoned by God, experiencing the judgment of God on the cross for sin. That's where we left off uh, on Friday in Mark chapter 15. And as we get to the resurrection, the first thing we need to be clear about is that Jesus actually died. That's, we need to be clear about that. Often I get on, 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 on the internet and there are rumors that pop up. You could call it fake news, but some, some say Jesus didn't actually die. Perhaps his followers rescued him. They took him down before, before he actually died. Or they bribed Pilate to take him down earlier. Some say he just went into a coma and then he sort of woke up in a tomb and he's like, oh, I'm alive still. Some people say that. Uh, it's what's known as the, I just discovered, the swoon theory. S-W-O-O-N, swoon, right? Now, if you're like me, I've only ever heard that when you're crushing on someone, you're swooning over them, but actually means you go unconscious, which makes sense if you're crushing on someone. You, you swoon over them, right? So the swoon theory is that Jesus fell unconscious on the cross. He swooned. But Mark is quite clear, and I'll read from chapter 15. So we didn't read this. If you have your Bibles, it's good to, to follow along. Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 42. It was preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, so Jesus died already. Uh, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Interesting there, isn't there? Like there are these references again, again, to he's, he's dead. Uh, verse 45, when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. That, that word there is corpse. He gave a, a dead body to Joseph. I love, I love what Mark is doing here because he's using names and, and references to people that like Pilate, yes, but Joseph of Arimathea, that's very, uh, he's very clear with that. He's a member of the Jewish council at the time. Pilate was surprised to hear about this and the centurion confirmed it. And then we have two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They all witnessed the dead body. Eyewitnesses that he had named because he's not trying to scam anyone here, the author here. One is a Jewish person. The others are Romans. You can go ask them about this dead body. It was lifeless. It was a corpse. Now, you can even research into this. Uh, I remember when I was at uni, I did an, uh, an arts degree, a humanities subject, and even the lecturer said, this is, this is, uh, there's an account of a man called Jesus who died on a Roman cross. You can get on Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, and they will also agree with you. There was a historical man named Jesus who died on a Roman cross. Wikipedia tells you that must be true, right? Historical records outside of the Christian Bible will attest to it. Now, they probably don't believe Jesus is the Son of God yet, or he resurrected, but we can all agree that he died. Mark in the Gospels records something the historians won't admit, though. This one who died also rose. His resurrection is as certain as his death. See what happens in chapter 16 that we read. Mark recounts who were the very first ones to come to the tomb on that fateful Sunday morning. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Right? Women. Three women. They were named already at the end of chapter 15. And as customary in Jewish tradition, they were going to anoint this dead body with spices. That's how they pay respects to the dead. Now, if you're going to mount an argument about a dead man coming back to life, you wouldn't use the names of women for your eyewitness accounts. And, and I know that might sound weird. For us in 2023, it sounds legitimate. You wouldn't bat an eye at this. But if you were to explain this to someone living back in the first century in the Roman Empire, they would laugh at you. Women, women were known to be not credible witnesses. Their testimonies were often thrown out. It's sad, but that's how it was back then. There was a Greek philosopher named Celsus during the second century, and he would argue against Christianity all the time. He, he didn't like Christianity. And one of his arguments was precisely this, saying because the resurrection was based on the testimony of women, it's not credible because women are hysterical. That were his words, not mine. His words. That's how people saw women. And so why would Mark, in this cultural moment that he's living in, be mentioning this, his, the names of three women? Why would he name it in the last eight verses or so? Talk about, keeps talking about Mary and Mary and Salome. Because these were actually real people who actually saw what happened. If he was going to fabricate a story and wants it to be believable, you'd think he wouldn't make women his key eyewitnesses. He would have made it believable by saying a few guys, a few of his disciples maybe were the first ones that see it. But he's keeping to the facts because that's what really happened. Even though it might sound ridiculous to the average person, you're in time. This is this is the truth. And what you know, and 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 what's crazy is that Jesus, up to this point, multiple times to his disciples, said to them, "He's going to die, and he's going to be raised on the third day." Where are his disciples? 
They, they, they heard him say that multiple times. Sunday morning is the third day. You think at least one of them might go, hey, hey, remember how Jesus said this thing about dying and then raising again? Maybe we should go check out his tomb. Uh, may, maybe, he's, maybe he's alive. But the disciples are nowhere to be seen. Most likely hiding in fear of also getting arrested. The women step up. And Mark is keeping the facts as it happened. It was these women who discovered the stone wheels rolled away. And the body of Jesus was not there. Let's read it again from verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Come and see where Jesus was laid. Come and see that he's no longer here. Come and see that he is risen. This announcement is huge. What does the resurrection mean? It means death has no power over Jesus. Here's the thing about death. When you die, that's it. That's the end. I don't think I have to persuade anyone in the room of that. It's accepted worldwide, right? That with life comes death. Unless you're a vampire. And you're not really alive or dead. Or real. But now you hear a lot of those stories about people who come back from the dead. And they say they saw these pearly white gates and they write books about it and make lots of money out of it. But, sure, <laughs> whatever. But they might be, who knows, they might be swooning in those moments. Heart and brain stop working for a couple of minutes. But it's far from being dead for two days, three days. No one actually defeats death permanently, right? Like, we all grow old and we'll still die. No matter who you are. How great you are, poor, rich, kind, or selfish, whatever. Death is a great equalizer for all of humanity. And it's funny because I think, I think sometimes like the arrogance of humankind is that we think we can fight off death somehow. Uh, we spend our whole lives you know, so focused on amassing plenty of wealth, plenty of fame, plenty of experiences, hoping it'll give us the elixir of Im- immortality. A- and the midlife crisis is literally a crisis because you'll realize you're getting closer to death than you are to your birth, right? It's scary. And we like to think the greats in our world won't and can't die. Uh, it was a huge shock a few years ago where there's this face, uh, famous basketball player, Kobe Bryant. A lot of my friends uh, love him. And he was, he was, it was really sad. He lost his life really early in a, in a plane crash. No one expected it. It shocked everyone because we didn't think someone like him could die. Uh, it shocked everyone last year when the queen died. Queen Elizabeth II, when, he, when she died, everyone was sad. Like, oh no, the queen's dead. We've, we've lived our whole lives knowing the queen. But she was old. She lived a long life. It was her time. We treat people sometimes like as if they, they, they can beat death. We want our heroes to live forever. But death is inevitable, isn't it? There's a famous uh, Ru- Russian literature writer, Leo Tolstoy, if you know of him, uh, in the 1800s, he wrote a lot of uh, famous books. But he wrote, once wrote this. He said, why should I live? Why should I do anything? Is there in life any purpose which the inevitable death that awaits me does not undo and destroy. Can I say that again? Why should I live? Why should I do anything? Is there in life any purpose which the inevitable death that awaits me does not undo and destroy? Is there any purpose? There is no purpose because death does undo everything. In some sense, the truth is death makes life ultimately futile, doesn't it? 
live 80 to 90 years on the earth. If you're lucky, then go back to not existing, just, to, just a blip in the timeline of history. Yes, we can, we can contribute to society, we can add, you know, it, it, we can educate people, we can help society become greater, better, all those things. Sure, we can do those things, but your life is just going to, we're all just going to die. Now, all that is to say, we have a record of one who has been raised from the dead. These women witnessed something only God could do. The stone was rolled away. An angelic messenger, this, this man dressed in white, was there on the right. I don't know why he left that detail there, because it probably happened. He was there on the right, who said, Jesus has risen. Come and see. He's not here. And we have this account. It finishes at verse 8. And the rest of the Bible records for us there were many other eyewitnesses as well who saw Jesus in bodily form with scars in his hands and his feet. He walked and he talked and he, then he ascended. And to understand how this could be possible, we have to ask, who is this Jesus then? Not only does he have authority over nature, authority over sickness, authority over sin, he has authority even over death itself. That's wild. You know, on Good Friday, we saw Jesus take up the cross as his crown establishing in his death that he's the king who came to die so many could be saved. But the resurrection, we see how far his authority goes. The king, he flexes his power and authority to defeat the very last enemy, death itself. An enemy no king or queen or, or billionaire has ever conquered before. No matter who you are, death wins all the time. But we have one here who has authority even over death. He rules over death. Death is not the end for Jesus. And death is not the end for those who Jesus came to save. You see, when we consider the consequences of a life rejecting Jesus and a life putting ourselves on the throne, we should expect death. A death that not just physical, but uh, one that's a spiritual separation from God. Uh, that sort of death. If the sin of our humanity is our rejection of God and living a life without Him, then why is it a surprise that death leads to an eternity without Him and His goodness? Yet when we see the resurrected Jesus, we meet the King who not only defeated death, He's removed that sin that leads to death. His sacrifice was enough to please God so that you and I could be forgiven, restored back to God as our debts have been paid. Do we trust that? Do you trust that? Do you trust Him? When we do, death is no longer our fate either. And eternal life is our hope. Friends, we have a future hope to look forward to because of the resurrection. It changes everything for us. Let me, let me share a few things it changes. Firstly, it changes everything because we have to really consider who he is, who Jesus is and, and what he said and taught. If he has saved us from death and he is the king, what are we going to do with that? The resurrection means if Jesus has authority over death, then we can't simply just say, oh, Jesus is great. I'm going to cash in on heaven, but I won't let him have authority over the rest of my life. He doesn't get to say how I live. We simply can't say that. He's either king of all or not king at all. We must take him seriously in how he calls us to live. The Christian life must look like one that follows him in loving, repentant obedience, one that takes up our cross as he calls us to, in joyful sacrifice, because our king took up his cross for us. We have to really consider how this reshapes our life, if Jesus is our king. But secondly, it also gives us a hope, doesn't it? It reshapes our lives because whatever we think in this life will give us more life, whatever we think will give us more joy, more happiness, more, more love, more freedom, it all pales in comparison. 
we have a, a much bigger picture in view, don't we now? Our lives are not no, now lived in light of, of eternity. Everything we're striving for in this life, we hold with open hands. Our hope is not in how much I can amass or how much I can achieve in these short years. It's not about how popular I become or how many followers I can gain, how much love I can receive. I've got all that in Jesus. I have enough in Him. And that eternal relationship I get to look forward to. That's the hope by which I get to live by now. And Paul the Apostle, he says in Philippians, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yeah, living is, is great. Dying is even greater. There's, you know, we get to be with Jesus. You know, he says in another place in, in Corinthians how, how the, sting, the, the sting of death is removed. The future hope of heaven with God is what the resurrection secures for you and I. You and me. Heaven is heaven because we get to be with God. There's a, 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 a popular pastor in the U.S. His name is John Piper. He wrote a book called God is the Gospel. Okay, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the first chapter is about how God is the gospel. That's what the first chapter is about. Uh, I didn't read the rest of the book. But the good news is, God is the gospel. The good news is this. The gospel means good news, right? So the good news is that when we die, we get eternal life, and we get God. God is the good news. We get God. You might not think that's a big deal, but it's going to be better than anything you've experienced in this life. We might like to compare heaven, right, to our best holiday. Think of the best holiday right now, the best holiday you've ever been on, right? What, what was it? What was it? Skiing down the slopes around Queenstown in New Zealand. Was it, was it lazing by the beach, you know, snorkeling in the Sunday, something like that? Was it eating all the ramen you can in Japan? Uh, you know, maybe it was just a really fond childhood memory with your family. Those moments were good, I'm sure. But this is going to be far better. Every moment you felt loved, every moment you felt joy, every moment you found peace and contentment in life, those moments were good, but fleeting, weren't they? Just a, a tiny sliver of what heaven will be, a shadow, a preview even, breadcrumbs of what being in the presence of the one who is himself, peace and joy and freedom and love. God is the gospel. Jesus gives us access to this God. Jesus gives us access to this God because he defeats death and secures eternal life for us, a relationship with God. That's the hope of heaven we get to look forward to. I look forward to it. I look forward to it because I'm tired. <laughs> I feel exhausted by life sometimes, physically, mentally, emotionally. Life is just hard sometimes, isn't it? But in God's presence, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more anxieties, no more disabilities, no more struggling with our mental health, no more feeling lonely, no more heartbreak, no more broken relationships, no more angry, hurtful words that we can't take back, no more dementia, no more Parkinson's, no more cancer, no more death. You don't need to question whether the resurrection is a scam or a hoax or, or fear that it'll make your life worse off. The resurrection gives hope and reshapes our lives in a way that we're no longer enslaved to fear or hopelessness or the final enemy, death, that comes for all of us. We have a secure and future hope. But here's the third thing we have to consider with the resurrection. The angel says to the women, come and see. He says, come and see that Jesus has risen. But he also says, go and tell the others. 
go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is going ahead of them. Verse 8 leaves us on a real cliffhanger where he finishes with the women running from the tomb, troubled, feeling afraid. Isn't that also generally the reaction of the human heart? I mean, the truth is the reaction is really hard to believe. The resurrection is really hard to believe. It really uh, seems impossible for any human being to come back from the dead. And I'd be totally feeling the same way as these women who saw and were afraid to tell others. Who would believe you? Yet again, Mark is here trying to keep the facts the facts. The women were scared. That's, that's a fact. That's how they felt. They were told to come and see and to go and tell. Yet fear gripped them, just like it does for many Christians. And I guess for many in this room today as well. Yet history tells us something. The women and the disciples and many other eyewitnesses, they met the risen Lord Jesus. And their lives were completely changed. No longer hiding in fear. They were empowered and courageous to go and tell. Go and tell, even to the point of many of them being martyred for their faith. All right, these disciples saw Jesus do miracles. But this is the greatest miracle of them all. The one who was resurrected. And these disciples, yeah, they, were, they ran away in fear. They were, uh, they were scared. Peter denied him three times. And it's these very disciples who became the leaders of the early church. Who were bold and courageous, completely changed. Because they met the risen Lord Jesus. Willing to tell everyone about his death and his resurrection that gives life. Friends, like them, we can trust. Jesus has gone ahead of us. Will you go and tell about this good news if you're a Christian here? We can go and tell because fear no longer enslaves us. He promises to always be with us. And so we can go in confidence and courage to share to the world around us. Jesus has risen. He is our crucified Savior King. Go and tell. Yeah, do it. Do it on your social media accounts, right? After church today. That's good. That's an easy place to start. But then consider who you can tell amongst your family and friends. Colleagues. Because everyone should know the resurrection changes everything for our good. Now and into eternity. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I do hope this Easter you've been challenged to consider who this man is and why the cross and resurrection changes everything for you too. He has defeated death. He gives life, freedom, and hope. Today, that's yours to receive when you put your trust in Him. I'm going to pray for us. I hope you can join me as I pray to Him. Father, we thank You for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, because of His death, our sins are forgiven. Because of His resurrection, death has been conquered. We thank You, Lord, that we can have that future hope, an eternal hope with You that you are the gospel, that we have that good news where we get to be with you forever because you raised Jesus from the dead. And sin is no more. And we have forgiveness and freedom because of your grace and your love for us. I do pray, Lord, that we'll live in light of that truth. We'll live in light of that hope. As hard as life can get sometimes, as, 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 as tricky as it is to be a Christian in our world as well, help us to be a people who are bold and courageous about our faith. Help us to be a people who find our rock-solid confidence and security in Jesus and in the gospel. Help us, Lord, to live like that uh, and to please you and glorify you for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.